Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Full Cup Conversations. Today we have a very special guest. She is a friend, absolutely inspirational to Amanda, to myself, and to literally hundreds and thousands of people out there. Today we have Vienna Farron with us. So welcome, Vienna. And before we dive in, if you don't know Vienna, I'm going to introduce her. So Vienna Farron is a licensed marriage and family therapist based in New York and is the founder of the group therapy practice, Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She works with individuals, couples, and families within the context of relationships and focuses on the family systems in which they grew up and exist in today. Vienna leads retreats around the world and is an international presenter. She believes that we all have the capacity for beautiful change and fulfilling relationships. She has been featured in The Economist, Fatherly, Netflix, and Vogue, to name a few. Vienna is recognized as one of the great relationship influencers of our time and is the author of The Origins of You, publishing in February 2023. Welcome, Vienna. And by the time everyone is listening to this, your book is out. So congratulations on your first book. I know it was an absolute labor of love for you. Yeah, it it was, it is still to this day, all of the things, but yeah, so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, excited for our conversation. Yes, so we we obviously cannot wait to discuss your new book, The Origins of You, but first we wanted to, you know, take it back a bit and start with your origin story. So many people who get into the type of work that you do, whether it's therapy, healing, coaching, arrive there because of something that happened in their own life. And so what prompted you to want to go down this path and become a marriage and family therapist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think probably most therapists um, lean into this work because it's an opportunity to resolve, you know, what it is that hasn't been resolved in our lives. Um, And so, no surprise here. A bit of the story is that my parents went through a nine-year divorce process, got separated when I was in first grade. And so I'm also an only child. Um, I, I share that little detail because I think it's important to remember that little Vienna was going through all of this really on her own. Like there wasn't another human in the space who was sort of seeing, experiencing, observing, witnessing what I was witnessing. And so, yeah, my parents, they went through a really chaotic divorce. There was a lot of, you know, manipulation, gaslighting, uh, paranoia, psychological abuse, um, like flooding, emotional flooding. Like it was just, it was, there was a lot. It was really heavy. It was really hard um, for both of my parents and for me. And I always say, you know, like our family systems, they're our first template and model for everything. Marriage, love, communication, conflict, our belief systems about ourselves, each other, the world. And when you have a model around love and relationships in the way that I did, my concern was that that was setting me up for Well, the fear was, I don't want to have a marriage like that. I don't want to be in a relationship like that. And so I, yeah, I got into the line of work, right? The like field of relationships, sort of as a a form of my secondary education of like, okay, how do I do this? How do I make sure that I don't end up the way that they did? You know, I I don't want this relationship. That relationship is really scary to me. And it's not what I want to create for myself. And so I went to school for it. 
And as you can imagine, right, like there's so many layers of introspection or reflection that has to take place to really begin to unpack. Like graduate school for this is just basically years of therapy. <laughs> you know, it's like it's just years and years and years of going like into fun. it is, right? It's like it's fun and it's confronting. It's a lot of the both ands. And so, yeah, you know, I think from an unevolved place, I got into this work because I wanted to protect myself from divorce, right? If I just made it very elementary. Um, And then the more evolved evolution of that was like, ah, I am in this work because I'm resolving what's unresolved, right? And I also was just so deeply curious about what makes some relationships function and others not. Like how, why is it so different for people? And how do we begin to understand the skills and the tools in order to have functional, healthy, long-lasting relationships if that's something that you want? So that's my like quick like how I got into it, it came from the pain 100% and was like, I don't want to be set up for this because I saw what it did to both of them. And and of course, again, like my own unresolved pain and story that existed in that in that space. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's I think Amanda and I were just talking yesterday about how you often teach what you need the most, what you need to hear. <laughs> Or as you said, you know, you went to school and went down this path to resolve what was unresolved. Um, You know, you do teach to a a very wide audience, right? You have very established practice here in New York City. And then you also speak to, as I said earlier, hundreds of thousands of people on Instagram every single day. Um, And I know that when you were starting out Instagram, may not have even existed. And if it did, it definitely was not a tool that was utilized by therapists like it is today. So what inspired you to start sharing there? Yeah. When I finished grad school in 09, I certainly wasn't on Instagram then. I don't know. I think it was like 2011 or 20. Yeah. I joined in 2013 and I was late because I was like, I'm too cool for this. I wasn't too cool for it, but (laughs) yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I've been on the app for for a long time now. Um, And I do think I was probably one of the first therapists doing this type of work on the platform. I had an intern at the time who was like, if they think you should get on Instagram. I was like, all right, sure. Yeah. Where is she now? I know. I I still follow her. She she just had a baby. And that's her. Yeah, bless her. Um, And she, yeah, she's like, I think you need to get on Instagram. And I was like, okay, sure. I think if you were to scroll all the way down, right, you'd find like other people's quotes and lots of hashtags and like, you know, like that. Um, And Valencia filter. Yeah, totally, totally Valencia. It's a mood. It's a total mood. And I just started from a place of if I can offer one new thought to one person every day, like that's a win. That's a victory. And it's funny because that's been that's kind of been the same. And obviously it's evolved. And I I recognize that it impacts many more people than one person a day. But that was it. It was like that that is the motivation still to this day is that I'm going to offer a new thought, a new perspective. And if that opens up one person's eyes, amazing, right? Like that's it. I don't, it doesn't matter if it lands for every single human. It doesn't matter what comes back to me. And I think sometimes entering into the process without an outcome in mind is really, really helpful, right? Because it's like, like at that time, I had absolutely no clue about what, where this could go and what it would offer me, right? And so it's like almost like the stakes, there were no stakes. It's just like, I'm existing in this space and doing this thing. And I have zero connection or attachment to an outcome with it. And then it just started to grow and build. And that came from me consistently posting. That came from eventually putting out good content it started to evolve where i like started writing my own quotes and actually being very thoughtful with my captions and yeah it just started to evolve and and, and it became something i could have never imagined yeah and we want to touch on that of course because for a lot of people listening having a massive following on instagram is totally the goal right people are so attracted by it and think it's like so glamorous and sexy but you know we've talked a little bit about this before like 
I want to hear a little bit about like the grind of it, especially maybe in um, maybe not those earliest days when it was like, oh, maybe one person, but sort of like that middle tranche where maybe there was a bit of intention to like, oh, like this is doing something for me. I want to grow. I want to I want to make this, you know, I want to make this a thing. I'd love to hear just about like the, the work that goes into it or went into it. Yeah. I mean, there was I, I remember it was still early on. I remember I used to commute into the city from Jersey. And so I'd have like an hour on the train each way. And I remember I would like go through just like endless quote posts and just like like every single one thinking that if someone saw that I like then maybe they'd come, fo- you know, it was like this weird grind, like as you're talking about this sort of middle space of oh, there is something to getting more people to see this page because I did start to see what it could do. I would say that I've never really lost myself in this space of Instagram. I think that there are times where I can spend more time on it than I want to. And I guess one of the things that I will say is when you spend enough time on it, you know what posts are going to get you likes versus what posts are not. And I think there was a moment for me where I needed to stop catering Mm. to that and to start sending out the message that I wanted to send out, regardless of whether or not it was going to quote unquote perform well. Right. Yeah. It's like, I know what people want to hear. And I can, you know, I could write those quotes over and over and over again. But I think it was like, I have a different message. And listen, sometimes there are quotes that land and are really profound and powerful and they do perform well. But there's other ones where it's like, no, this message is actually really important. And even if it gets far fewer likes or comments or whatever, like, again, it kind of comes back to that original thought is that I'm here to make someone think about something differently. And so, yeah, it can be that battle of, you know, spending so much time on the app, finding ways to grow your platform. And it's a very scary place when you get lost in the validation loop, right? It's like, I'm only here for validation, then, you know, it's like, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. But when you can stay committed to, you know, like what your intention is and how to remind yourself of that and bring that practice into motion really on a daily basis, that was something that I really had to challenge for myself and then really practice and implement. Yeah. So hearing you say that, um, you you know, I too am a mindfulness practitioner, very obsessed with mindfulness and teaching people to be more mindful. So how did you come up with your name of your business and your handle? Where did um, where did Mindful MFT come from? Yeah, I have to give a lot of credit to the people in my orbit back at that time, right? Like this intern of friends who I would just say like, what's the practice name, you know, and love alliteration. I also was in this like area. Um, so the office is in Midtown. There were a number of marriage and family therapists in the area, and all of the practices were like metropolitan marriage and family therapy, midtown marriage and family therapy. Like there were so many M's <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason, right? So like playing with this and, you know, eventually at the end of it, it was like the work, right, is like bringing presence, bringing mindfulness, right? Like when we can do that, there's a lot of shift and change that can take place, right? If we are not connected to that, right? It's very hard for shifts and change and resolution to happen relationally, whether relationship with self or relationship with other. And so mindfulness the practice of it, but also the representation of what this word means and offers to the people who are coming into the space is that we have to, it's sort of like required of us to move into that space in order for us to have a deep reflection, deep introspection of self and other. And this is a practice that we need to bring forward if we're actually going to be able to deeply connect and be intimate with self and other. Yeah. Speaking of alliteration, this is a this is an inside joke. So we were at dinner with Vienna a couple of weeks ago, and I I called her a an MFT, a mad famous therapist. <laughs> so Vienna, now that you're a mad famous therapist, what's changed for you? Like, how has Instagram and growth like given you maybe opportunities or changed your career in ways that even if you'd been like a super 
successful therapists, but like not with widely known outside of your clients and perhaps the people that they refer? Like what has this brought to your career? There were a number of different stages. The first one was when people would call I didn't have a an assistant or an intake coordinator at the time, so it would be me, right, that they would call. And I was used to picking up the phone, chatting with people, telling them a little bit about me and how I work. And I remember the first time I got on a call and someone was like, oh, no, I know what you do. I know who you are. I know how you work. I don't need to hear, basically in so many words, I don't need to hear anything from <laughs> you. I just want to schedule. Wow. And I remember the moment so distinctly because it was such a shift. I had been so used to sharing my way and process of doing things and not, I mean, there's a little bit of, hey, here's why you should choose me, right? Yeah. Um, as long as it's a good fit for for us. And yeah, it was like, oh, people are spending, they've been following for months or years, and they have gotten to know my style. They've gotten to know the way that I think, the way that I ask questions. And they already know now coming in that they want to work with me. I don't need to do any of that. And so it, there was a big shift that happened at that stage where people were like, yeah, I just want to, no, no, put me on your calendar, please. Um, and You're mad famous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and yeah, and so that was one of the big shifts that happened. And then I remember when there was just more media wanting me to participate in stories or, um, yeah, whether it was like television or articles or whatever, um, where people were reaching out to me for that. For a long time, I kept my face off of the page. You guys didn't know me during that time. I do put my face on there now a bit more because I think people are like, who is this person that's behind this account? I'm not super interested in being recognized, you know, like um, that that doesn't feel important to me. But I think there is something to having people be connected to the person who's there. You know, there's different ways of thinking. And I think that this has evolved a little bit since the time I was in grad school to where we are today with the therapy world. And there was a huge emphasis on the blank slate therapist, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't know anything about this person's personal life. You don't know any of their stories, right? It's sort of this blank canvas so that the client doesn't have to worry at all about the therapist or make opinions or judgments about them. I can understand that way. What I have found and I share things about my story that serve other people. And yeah, people know that I have a partner. People might know that I have a son. And there's something I think about that human connection for me that feels so important. And I think one of the things that I've gotten feedback around that has been really valuable to be like, you are a human being who also struggles with your own stuff and you have a story and part of having that story is what makes you be able to actually so deeply connect with other people's stories right and their pain and i think there's something so valuable about that is like actually authentically bring your heart forward not in the mess of it right? i think <laughs> yeah. there's like something very valuable i don't know if it was like i think it might have been Brene Brown, who said it's that. always Brene. <laughs> it's often Brene. She's the best. Yeah, it's often Brene, but it also was probably plenty of people, plenty of supervisors and advisors in grad school that were like, you are allowed to self disclose, but not when you're in the middle of the mess, right? When you're on the other mm -hmm. side of it, right? Because that's when there's a teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Was when you're in the middle of it, right? Then people try to take care of you. And you're not there to be taken care of by others, right? Yeah. That there's another, there are other people for you to go to to help you with that. But in this setting, right, in this environment, right, they're not there to take care of you. And so when I share and sort of this evolution of, yeah, putting myself out there a little bit more and being seen in in this way was, yeah, like I'm happy to share parts of my story. I don't hide what they are. I think they're important. There's so much to who I've become and how I've been shaped. But there's something very important about knowing where that line is of yeah. being a mess yeah. and being taken care of by the people who are not meant to take care of you. You're having a moment. Yeah. I wish more people on Instagram who share about things 
waited until they were out of their their mess before bringing their community. I think it can be dangerous, right? When people, you know, I, I'm not speaking about therapists in particular, but Instagram influencers who have these massive followings and are in something and, you know, it becomes this kind of like shared trauma on the internet. It, it can be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. It can be. I mean, I think that that's in some instances, it might be the difference between being trained in something, yeah. right? Like in actually understanding the complexity of when I do this, how this actually affects the system, yeah. right? Like that's the work, you know, full circle here, right? Is as a marriage and family therapist, I'm trained in systems theory, right? I'm trained in understanding how every little shift and move affects the entire system. I would say like a lot of people are not thinking about how what I do how that affects the system at large around me, whether we're talking about my relationship, whether we're talking about a family system, or whether we're talking about an online community. Yeah. And so there is something to the power of one tiny little shift and word or thing that happens or behavior, right, that really does affect the whole system. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> no, and, you, and you do it so, so beautifully. And I think it's it's really brave to show that you are a human who struggles, especially as you said that you were taught this blank slate therapist way of thinking. You know, we're all taught certain things, whether it's the way that we grew up, what we're taught in school, our family systems, and to have the self-awareness and the courage to step outside of that and chart your own path in whatever way is is so brave and so beautiful. So as Amanda said, you are a mad famous therapist <laughs> and a badass business owner and now a badass author. You have done so much. What have you learned along the way that any aspiring thought leaders and or business owners out there could benefit from hearing? I have really tried to remain the student in all of this. It's all of it's a very humbling process. I think the book, especially for me, the writing of the book, yeah, it brought me to my knees for sure. There's something about remaining humbled through all of it. It's easy, I think, when you start to have this feedback loop that says you're doing well and there's success here and all of that, right? To stay grounded and rooted to the earth feels so important in this and that there are constant lessons and growth opportunities that are forever being revealed (laughs) to you. And so, yeah, through all of this has been, it is a humbling process. I try really hard not to disconnect from, yeah, source and what's being offered in every moment. And yeah, with the book in particular, that was, that's the last sort of uh, big venture I've had here. I got a book deal five months after I gave birth. And then I started writing yeah, like a couple months after that. I wrote the book uh, in seven months. It was really quite fast, uh, I think, especially for a first book. And I handed in a first chapter to my editor just to like, how are we doing? Where are we going? How, you know, and she wrote back with such kindness, but was basically like, this isn't good. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) this isn't it. But she was so kind, so thoughtful. And her response was like, phenomenal storyteller. You're like, here are all the things you're good at. Let's give this one more shot. And if it's still not a go, then maybe we bring in a collaborator for you. And I was like, all right, one more shot. Let's do this. Roll up the sleeves. I got this. Competitive mode activated. (laughs) Let's go. So I rework this first chapter. I send it off. Feel like it's so much better. Same, same response. And yeah, like I think the point to this story is that I, as an only child, to that origin story, part of my survival during the divorce was figuring out how to do things on my own. And so the tie between that was my success, all of the things that I've accomplished, I do them on my own. I don't take help and support from other people. There's something about that that has historically kind of watered things down for me. It was sort of a sense of pride of like, I did this. I achieved this all on my own. People don't help me. I do it. 
And so here was this moment where this person's like, we have a deadline. <laughs> so far, this isn't really working out for us. And you need help. Right? You need help. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right? Like, I need help. Oof. Like, it's like, even just to say, I can't do this all on my own. Or if I did, it just wouldn't be good. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know how to write a book. Right. And that was right. That was true. I didn't know how to write a book and I didn't have the time to force myself through that. Right. Like maybe if I had 10 years, I could figure out how to write a book and not a toddler. <laughs> right. And not right, not a baby, not a toddler. But now it was like, no, you've got this short amount of time and you need to ask for help. And so there was this big moment and there have been a couple of moments prior to where my husband, Connor, was like, you need an assistant or you need a fill in the blank. Like, stop trying to do everything yourself. Instagram, it's not until the last couple of months, you guys know I did a rebrand, that I've had anybody supporting me with Instagram. I've done everything on my own the entire time. I would literally finish work and then like, what do I want to say tonight? And then I'd write a post and then I'd write a caption and then I'd post it. But like, oh, how how many days out or how many weeks out do you plan? I'm like, I don't. It's like in the moment, this is what I do. And I'm not, you know, I liked that rhythm for myself at the time. I did not suggest that there's a right or wrong way with this. But for me, it was like, this was one of the offerings and the teachings was how do I make space to be supported? How do I make space to be helped? And I think that it unfolded the way that it did. But if I were to look back, I wish that I had taken on more help and more support. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had come to this understanding a little bit earlier on um, without it meaning that somehow I wasn't succeeding or doing enough or winning on my own. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this the there were a few moments throughout my career, but especially with the book where I was like, all right. Yep. Can't. Yeah. I literally cannot do it on my own. Not if I want the outcome that I want, yeah. which was to write a good book. <laughs> write a book. Well, to to quote you, oof, on those <laughs> emails. From your publisher, I imagine what just a gut punch. Hard feeling that is. Yeah, like a gut punch. Like I'm holding my hands over my heart thinking about it. Um, but I love your two pieces of advice, which are to stay humble and to ask for help. And for me, that kind of goes back to the best teachers are forever students. Mm-hmm. So you just were mentioning your husband, Connor. So... Connor Beaton of Man Talks, you are both in the personal development space. You both have a heavy online presence. You share a beautiful sun together. And you both have books coming out. Or by this point, both of your books are out. How do you both manage this professional overlap, especially as entrepreneurs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. We look back and we're like, oh my gosh, we both wrote books, had like had a baby. This is this was crazy. We both wrote our first books. Um he It is crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> totally. He loves to point out that <clears throat> what so he started writing his book first. There was a moment he comes into the kitchen and he's like, I don't I feel like I don't know what I'm writing about. I feel like this is all just terrible. I don't know what to do. Like just this moment of vulnerability and like insecurity, fear, all the things in a non-mindful moment. I was like, get it together. You got this type of thing. I like, I don't like, you don't be insecure about this. Um, I'll blame it on being sleep deprived and ha- like juggling lots of things. Human. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Human. And he loves to retell this story. He actually retold it on the the podcast that we recorded and I was like, Abe, you're outing me big time. Come on. I remember you said that recording that episode was yeah. a thing for you guys. Oh yeah. We've recorded a, num- a few and they're all, they're always something really powerful. We recorded the one for my book. He actually made me cry in like we'll a good, like have to link we'll, that we'll and come back to that. I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm emotional talking about my book. Damn, you got me. Okay. But Yes, he loves to tell this story because a couple months later, I'm the one coming into the kitchen like, 
do I don't think I know anything about family systems and origin stories. Like, why did they decide I'm the, you know, I think they're, even though we zoom out and we're like, what were we thinking? There was something actually about going through the parallel process that even though we weren't day by day exactly in the same moment, um, we did eventually have a deep understanding of what the other person needed and what they were going through. There was something actually quite connective about the process. Um, and yeah, just like understanding what needed to happen. I think sometimes you know, there's such a need for reciprocity in relationships. There's such a need for like, he had to take some space or I needed to do a little bit more here with the home or with code so that he could complete something. And I think if I didn't have an understanding of what was actually being asked from this process and vice versa, it could be easy to be like, put your computer away yeah. or like, you know, like do this at another time. And so there, I, I think that it really benefited us yeah. to really have a deep understanding of what the other person was going through. That said, for me especially, you know, Connor was able to go away for a week and, you know, write in the woods. Like, you know, this was that was a fantasy of mine for for writing. And that's not what mine looked like at all. I never got to go away. Um, I chose not to go away. It was hard because while I was still seeing clients, I took six weeks off from seeing clients at one point because I was like, I will not finish this book if I don't. I was still available if they they needed things. And obviously we had processed that and it was okay. But I would write from whatever, nine until five. And then it was like, okay, now I'm switching modes and then putting baby to sleep and then writing for a few more hours. And at this time, though, you know, Code was not sleeping through the night at all, was up often. And so it was just a very different process from the one that I had hoped that writing a book would be. Like, there were no all-nighters. There was no, like, getting really into flow, honestly. You hear your baby in the other room. You come out to, like, connect with them for 30 minutes or whatever it is. Like, it just wasn't it. And then prior to those six weeks, it was like I was seeing clients, and then I was just writing for a few hours, you know, in the evenings once Code was asleep. And, yeah, it was just, it was just really challenging. And, you know, there's a lot of output. You're burning it at every end. And yeah, it just, we just, we still laugh about, wow, we decided to do this with, a, you know, a newborn with a, with a baby. And, and yet we both wrote really great books and here we are. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know that it tested our relationship differently than like having a child would, you know, mm -hmm. I think the book writing process was a thing that was a connector for us. Um, but yeah, like anybody who's ever had a child knows that there are shifts and changes that happen <laughs> uh, in those yeah. early stages, right? And you're relearning, trying to relearn how to navigate the relationship and your own self during that time. And that was a big one for me. Yeah, you uh you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you a little bit about your process. But the, the one thing that I will ask, because Rebecca and I, obviously, we coach executives, people with big careers, people juggling lots of things on their plate. And one of the things they're always asking us for help with, right, is prioritization, ruthless prioritization, right? Talking about what am I going to handle? What am I going to outsource? Assuming that you're going to get the opportunity to do this again, because I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's not already on the docket, right? Book number two. What would you do differently in terms of like making it um, a little bit more manageable or getting to go away? Like what might you do differently? And like what could our our listeners and our, our clients learn from like, you know, big career, lots of things happening simultaneously? What would you do? What or what will you do next time for book number two? Yeah. I mean, I've been saying to people like, I do not recommend having a child and then writing a book so yeah. close to one another. But funny enough, you know, I don't, Connor and I have been thinking about another child and, you know, if that's something that we're going to lean into. And it's funny because it's like, it's possible that it kind of lines up the same way again, potentially, you know? And we know that there's never these like perfect moments or perfect times in life to there's do. There's not? 
in our lives. Um, this can be good things too, or these can be positive things, but the wounds are when it's like the first time that something happens that sets the foundation, the framework for the patterns to come later on in life, right? So often think about it as like the unresolved pain from our past. And very specifically where, where I like to spend my time is understanding the pain from the past within the family system. And we've all got, you know, and, and some of us obviously have stories that are so, 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 so painful. Um, and other people certainly come from families where um, they feel very appreciative of the life that they had and the way that their parents showed up. Um, but I have yet to meet a person <laughs> who does not have a wound. Right? I have yet to meet a person who does not have something that is unresolved about their past. And, you know, for me, a lot of times people come into therapy like, here's the thing that I want to talk about. Here's the problem I'm having present day. How do we what do we do? How do we change this? I want to address this. And, you know, through the 15 years that I've been doing this, the over 20,000 hours of direct client work I've done, right? it's like we know, I know right through that is that there is a, when something activates us present day, right, there is the origin story, right? There's something familiar about it that it's bringing us back to a pain point for us oftentimes, which originates in our family system that needs uh, us to address it, right? That needs us to spend more time with it. We try to change patterns in our adult lives, right? Like the unwanted patterns that we have where people are like, well, why do I keep choosing this person or dating these types of people? Or why do we keep getting into this conflict cycle over and over and over again, even when I know better, right? It's like when we're looping with things, right? It's a really good indicator that there's something unresolved about the past. And so, yeah, the origin wounds. Uh, I talk about five origin wounds in the book. Book, which are the worthiness wound, the belonging wound, prioritization wound, safety wound, and the trust wound. And when I spent time, you know, we could like label wounds probably endlessly, but ultimately I was like, I really think these five encapsulate so much of the human experience. And, you know, might somebody call it something different? Maybe sure, right? I don't believe any of us fit into boxes. Um, I don't think that there's a one model fits all. But I think that there's something so powerful to understanding that I have a wound, right? Which one do I have? Which ones do I have, right? I have a safety wound and a worthiness wound. I talk about that in the book. And to understand how those wounds got there, right? Mm -hmm. To like bring energy back, not because we want to hang out in the past, but because witnessing the pain from the past and grieving alongside of that is such a huge part in opening up something present day. People want to create change right here, right now, without tending to the former parts of ourselves that are in pain, right? That maybe haven't been witnessed as fully as they need to be, right? That haven't had the grief and the emotional experience that needs to be had in order to release ourselves into a new pattern, a new way of choosing. Sometimes we try to brute force our way through it. And listen, right? It's like, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, like, yeah, you might get a different outcome for a period of time, but my experience, again, personally and professionally, is, is that ultimately, if we're not tending to the origin pain well, then we're going to find ourselves back in the pattern at some point. Yeah, I I just shared about that yesterday where, you know, the, the difference between like shaming yourself into change versus loving yourself into change, like shame works for a little while. You can intimidate yourself and make yourself feel guilty and bad into like, you know, sticking to a diet for a certain amount of time or, you know, whatever the thing is. But long term, like you really do need to get in there, give it some light, give it some, and I don't mean light and love in the, you know, whilst over sense, but really shine a light on it and, and get it out into the open so that it can be resolved. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a scary thing to do, though, for so many, because a lot of times there's, you know, the protective part that wants to say it was good or like nothing from the past affects me today. I mean, listen, I was a really good example of this. Even in grad school, I was 
I was committed to the story that my parents divorced didn't affect me at all. <laughs> bless my bless my professors. They must have been Good like for you. sweet girl. Oh my gosh, boy, is she gonna have something coming for her? I was like, they are friends now. They used to come to my lacrosse games and drive together. They came to all of my recitals. They came to my orchestra performances. Like all of the things were good. We do holidays together now. And it is true that their relationship evolved really significantly. And we do do those things now. But I was so afraid of naming and acknowledging the impact that it had because it required me to feel. Mm. And I was so afraid of feeling, right? Because I didn't know I was the like, I have it all together. I'm good. I'm fine. And feeling was like, uh oh, what's going to happen then? What am I going to meet if I have to feel? What's going to happen? What am I going to experience if I'm actually not okay? I had like branded myself this way for so long. And so there are things that can feel so scary, so threatening about actually going back and exploring this. You know, sometimes we idealize a family system. Sometimes we are scared of if I find this out, what is how is that going to change my relationship? Right. And so if I start to open this box, what else is going to come out? And so, yeah, we have to be really careful about the exploration and the inquiry. But when we let those fears dictate everything, right, then our healing is off limits. Right. And that's a really that's a tough one. Right. And that's where I was for a long time is like I couldn't heal if I couldn't feel, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't heal if I couldn't go there, if I couldn't actually acknowledge that there was pain there. Mm-hmm. You know, the little me was like not Aww. getting any witnessing at all, you know. Yeah. And so we have to find this way. And I hope that that's what the book is. Right. Is like this like hand holding like I've got you in this to gently begin to explore right, what it is that we've been resisting right, what it is that we maybe don't want to look at. And understand like why we don't. I'm not here to throw parents under the bus, right? Like fully, I love this quote from Michael Kerr, psychotherapist. He talks about how like think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's like that wow. perspective, right? That like we are all we were all once tiny. We all have complex, nuanced stories. We all have a family system in which we grew up. We all have pain. And yeah, some people didn't resolve much of it, which means that they just pass it down. I'm about oh. to cry. <laughs> I have the major chills thinking of my mother as my grandmother's daughter. Yeah. Oh. Right. And like that's what the book does, right? It's like I I wrote it for people to read it as the adult child first. But I imagine you'll read it again as a as the daughter of someone, as the partner to someone, as the friend to someone. And that's the hope, right, is to begin to understand that we're all carrying around unresolved origin wounds that need our attention, you know, that need our grace, that also need our accountability, right? Like, I think that that's the fine line that I try to strike is that self-love to me is the balance and the intersection of... Um, compassion and grace for the self and ownership and accountability with the self, right? One without the other really like turns us around around and around, right? We can't just be like self-love, self-love, self-love. And we can't just be so accountable. And I can't, you know, I did this. It's like, we need both. I am Mm -hmm. human, right? And I'm accountable, right? I am human and I have a story and I also need to do the work in order to resolve what is still there so that I don't hurt, harm, abuse other people, right? And so this exploration and inquiry is is that, right? It's, it's holding the humanness of all of the people in our lives while also recognizing the impact and the way that the absence of resolution did in fact affect you. And it is still probably affecting you today in ways that maybe you know and maybe ways that you don't know. And it would be really good for you to begin to understand that a little bit more so that you can, one, experience more healing and two, create the changes in your life that you actually want to create. Wow. Deanna, anyone who anyone who reads The Origins of You is in for such a gift, not only in their own journey of healings, but also in how that will affect everyone around them because 
truly when we heal ourselves, when we work on ourselves, when we hold ourselves accountable, as you said, within that context of still being human and still having our origin story. That's, I believe, and how we really make a big impact in the world. Yeah. So, you know, we could go on and on about your book, <laughs> but we unfortunately <laughs> do have limited time together. I know that you have so much going on. So I have three rapid fire questions to end with. We ask them to all of our guests. So first off, Vienna, what is one tip for working smart? You know, I didn't prepare any answers to these questions. That's okay. Is which is good because I like don't want to <laughs> like manufactured with it. Yeah. Um, okay. So wait, ask it again. Which one is it? One tip for working smart. I really want to be thoughtful with my answers. So give me a second. Okay. Well, yeah. I think based on what I've been saying so far today is to ask for help. We love. Love. love that. Love that. Snaps to that answer. And what is <laughs> and what is one tip for working happy? Well, get out into nature every day. Beautiful. Cheers to taking your next book to the woods, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right, man. Yeah, you'll have a week in a cabin somewhere. Yeah. And then our last question, and this one's easy. Where can our listeners find you and where can they find your book? Oh, yeah. Well, you can find me on Instagram at MindfulMFT as in marriage family therapist or mad famous therapist. <laughs> or as someone else said, motherfucking therapy. Or, Love it. Or, or. Yeah. Um, and yourcouplescounseling.com, viennaferrin.com, wherever is the easiest place for all of you to remember. Um, and then, yeah, my book is sold everywhere that books are sold. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. The origins of you. Yeah, the origins of you, how breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live and love. We yeah. have a subtitle. Oh. It's a hip dub. Yeah, we love yeah. you so much. Oh, You're so that. wise. You're so kind. We just love you. And we thank you so much for taking this time to be with us. And I know that all of our listeners will be so grateful that you did as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, Find us on Instagram at Full Plate Full Cup. That's at F U L L P L A T E F U L L C U P, or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com. www.fullplatefullcup.com.